How do we discern what is true from what is almost true? You're about to hear the answer. Hello, and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we're going to tackle some tough issues. We're going to answer your hard questions and take a candid look at the Christian faith. I'm so glad you're joining me today as we continue our conversation with my father, Dr. Michael Youssef. Last week, we talked about how younger generations can keep the faith as they experience more and more pressure than ever to compromise on their convictions. We also discussed the dangers of being self-focused rather than God-focused. If you missed last week's episode, please go back and listen when you have a chance. Before we return to the conversation, I want to invite you to head over to ltw.org candid and get this week's free resource, Four Reasons You Can Trust the Bible. It outlines the incredible evidence for the Bible, and it's free. Now back to our conversation. There's so many voices out there, and we've talked about there are some who are proclaiming a false gospel, and there are those who are proclaiming the truth. But for a new believer, for yeah. someone who grew up in the church but wasn't paying attention when they were younger, sure. it, it can be hard to discern yes. the right voices from the wrong voices. Um, a lot of these teachers, they sprinkle in just enough yeah. of, uh, of biblical sure. truths yeah. to kind of catch your ear. But, you know, people don't necessarily know how to discern between these two. Who do we listen to and, and, and what is it that we trust and how, how sure. can we place our trust in these things? You, you know, I think you remember this. And I used to say that when you're growing up and that the one thing you must always pray for is the gift of discernment. I think if there is a desperate need, and I'm talking about desperate need in the church today, is discernment. Mm. There are so many Christian leaders who are not discerning. You know, to me, they are like 50-year-old men who's blowing bubbles or, as they say in Australia and England, blowing raspberries, Mm. you know what I mean, just Mm. kind of acting like children. Mm. That's because they have no discernment. But discernment is something that God, I believe with all my heart, wants to give every one of his children. That's why Paul said, I pray for you so that you may mature. Mm. What is it maturing? It's discerning. Mm. So you know what is false and what is true. You know what is a little bit of truth that wrapped in in a big sandwich of falsehood. And being able to discern that is of vital importance. And that is why I have said for years, and now the ministry, ordained ministry for over 45 years, is that the one thing that is going to help you being a discerner is to read the Word of God, to inwardly digest the Word of God, and then willingly obey the Word of God. So as you, the longer you stay with the Word of God, the more discerning you'll become. There was a story told years ago about um, a a division of the FBI who is in charge of investigating false currencies, that is, fake dollars. And the story goes like this, which is a true story, apparently, is that those inspectors who are trained to be able to discern the false currencies, the fake dollars that are really printed, you know, and look like a a dollar, is that they spend all their time Mm -hmm. examining 
real dollars. The real dollars, yeah. that's right. The real dollars. And so once you spend time examining the real dollars, they said the inspectors are now ready to go on the road and to arrest people who are using false currency because they will recognize false currencies right away. And in the same way with the Scripture. Those who spend time knowing the truth as it is in the Scriptures, in the Word of God, they will be able to discern falsehood right away. Okay, so my follow-up question would be, um, there's a lot of different genres within the Bible, right. and, and a lot of people don't know that. So they'll, they don't know the difference between poetry yes. and apocalyptic Scripture, so sure. they'll take Revelation and read everything as literal <laughs> right. or everything as historical narrative. Right. What are some of the ways to help you know, for the person who right. d- desperately desires, and they know they can go to the scriptures and mm-hmm. read it, but how do they know how to read it properly? Sure. And sometimes that takes a little bit more than just the individual. There's there's a community aspect. In Absolutely, this as well. because you can. I mean, an in, in individual reading of a scripture and studying a scripture is important, but reading it in the context of a godly community and Bible believing community and Bible believing teachers and good commentaries too. All of that is necessary. All of that is important. And I was thinking when you were asking about the book of Revelation and the literally how to be what to take literally what's not, I always think of the words of Jesus when he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. I haven't seen too many people yeah, who are walking people around with one eye. Or no eyes. Or no eyes. <laughs> and no or, hands. or hands are chopped <laughs> off. Now, in Hebrew language, that's called Hebraic hyperbole. Hmm. In order to make a point, you exaggerate it so that you communicate the importance of this. And so you got to understand all of that. And again, as you, you rightly said, it has to be learned within the Christian community and under the guidance of godly Bible-believing teachers and good Bible-believing commentary writers, because these books are out there it's for anybody to, to read and study. And I would say having a good commentary right next to your Bible helps you a great deal. There's also bad commentaries out there. And oh, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. But, but, <laughs> but again, for the, for the person who, um, you know, because we tend to go to what is popular. Of course. So we trust what is popular. But right. that's not always the way that God works. No, exactly. That's the kind of the symptoms of the postmodern culture in which we live that it doesn't matter whether it's true or not, but if the person said it um, is is persuasive, then we'll buy into it. Or if he's popular, got large crowds. Um, I remember when I traveled overseas, and people point out to some of the mega church pastors, and they said, "But he's got a huge crowd." I said, "It doesn't matter. She's got a huge crowd. It doesn't matter." Measure everything by the Word of God. If they're not preaching, teaching, and believing the Word of God, obeying it themselves, then just take it with a grain of salt. So it sounds like kind of the, the if I'm putting this together correctly, the model is really um, praying to God for discernment, reading the Scriptures, mm-hmm. being in good biblical community. And I think with that equation, you'll, you should be able to discern right teaching from wrong teaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that is why, you know, the Bible talks about kononia in the, mm-hmm. the Greek, big Greek word in the, in the book of Acts. It is in that fellowship, intimacy with Christ and with other Christ's 
children, uh, followers, is very important for my growth. You take a, a, a log of wood, and you take it out of a fire, roaring fire in a fireplace, and you take that one log and put it aside by itself. It will die quickly. And that is why we are not called to be out of the fireplace without the other logs so we can burn for Christ and burn in Christ much better. I wanted to ask you because I think um, one of the cultural issues that we – that Christians are facing today is that, that accusation, that comment that um, your worldview is hateful. Mm. Um, you're, you're, you're myopic. You're stuck in the past. Sure. These sorts of – Accusations, and then yeah. uh, you know the, some of the debates I watch. Then they say, "Well, no one's saying that," no. but certainly Christians are feeling that. Right. What does it mean to be truly loving your neighbor? Yeah. Right. Again, I go back to what we said earlier about the fruit, and the fruit is that I love people who are sinners, uh, who are uh, doing things that are ungodly, and. If one of my neighbors who are like that is in trouble, I'm the first person to roll my sleeve and help them. I have done that actually uh, uh, several times. And that is really the way to show my love. But to go back to what you're saying, what Satan does, he loves to take haters and say to the loving Christian, you the hater, you see, it's just like taking your finger, put it in your eye, and say, ouch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've taken my finger. I didn't want you to take my finger. Yeah. You grabbed my finger and right. put it in your own eye. Right. But this is really what's happening. The only, the only way Satan can confuse people is by mixing up truth with fiction. And particularly Christians who are Bible-believing Christians, they are the ones who are going to be falsely accused, falsely accused, Let me repeat this, falsely accused. But don't let that intimidate you because you know your heart. God knows your heart, and you know that God knows your heart, and that's really what matters, that brothers and sisters in Christ know your heart, and that really what matters. Now, beyond that, if they say these things in order to intimidate us, in order to whip us into shape so that we may agree with them— and cease to call sin, sin, then that's exactly they accomplished what Satan wants them to accomplish. But this is a time where we stand firm, strong, saying we love people, but we will never love sin. Mm. And here's the thing. We don't love sin in our lives. It's not just loving, not loving sin in somebody else's life. Sure. And this is where the accusation of hypocrisy is. A person living in shambles, right. but then he condemns other people who are sinners. No, we hate sin in our own lives first, and then we hate it everywhere else. But nonetheless, we still love the individual. We'll never cease from loving them, no matter what they call us. Mm. What makes it worth it? What makes it worth taking uh, taking the brunt of these attacks and, and, and trying to march those out to the person who's sort of maybe sitting on the fence post and they're not really sure which which side to fall on. It is worth everything because I don't care how long this life may be. As you and I know, we've seen people, young people die. Um, We've seen old people die. The thing is, we're all going to die. But 
the question I want everyone to ask themselves, what will I say to Jesus on that what I call the audience of one? Each one of us is going to have it. And that I conformed to the culture. I wanted to be accepted because I really wanted you to be accepted. Or I'm going to say, Jesus, you know I loved people as you commanded me. I hated sin in my life. I repented of it every time I've fallen in sin. And I pointed my friends, because I love them so much, uh, to the source, to the wellspring of life. That's you. And so it is very. It, it is worth it because eternity. Somebody told me years ago, eternity is a very, 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 very long time. Mm-hmm. It's not fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty years. Mm-hmm. It is for eternity. It's forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. To uh, I always liken it to an ambassador. An ambassador from, say, a third world country with, the, you know, the conditions are not all that great, but they say ambassador to London or Washington or one of the European cities, life is great. But they can never forget that they don't belong to London, they don't belong to Washington, they don't belong to these capital cities in Europe where maybe life is easier, mm-hmm. but they belong to their country. And they have to represent their country and have to be true to their country in the same way the Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ, and we are to be ambassadors in this foreign land. This world is not our home. We are going home sooner or later. No matter who tells you what, we're all going home. And so you need to represent your home country, heaven. Okay, just a, f- a final one or two questions here. What would you say today is the greatest threat from within the church and from the outside on the church? You know, I honestly do not fear the threat from outside of the church Mm -hmm. as much as I fear the threat inside the church. Mm. Because when a friend of mine went and fought in the Korean War, the first thing he arrived in Korea, they gave him a little booklet called Know Your Enemy. Mm. And so they knew everything about the North Koreans. They knew how to and so forth. And we know evil. We know our enemy, Satan. We know he's the author of evil, and we know evil when we see it. But if Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, as the Scripture said, and so if a person pretends to be a Christian believer and then come into the flock, now he may be... Uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, as a friend of mine and and yours, Phil Jensen, said one time, he said, yeah, the, the, the good news is now the wolves have taken their sheep clothing off and we can see them. Yeah. But there's still, there are some wolves in sheep's clothing. And when they come into a church and they pretend to be believers and slowly but surely try to move you away from the gospel, they are the most dangerous ones. And so I will tell to Everybody who's listening, young pastors, old pastors, young believers, new believers, uh, struggling believers, everybody in between, and it is, is that be discerning, as we have been talking about in this podcast, be discerning, be aware of the fact that our spiritual warfare is not a possibility. It is here. It's a reality. And we all 
are in a state of spiritual warfare. So don't take your guards off. Keep your guards on all the time. Well, what a great closing phrase to think on, uh, keeping our guard up. Uh, This has been a great conversation. I would certainly love to have you back um, with your time permitting. Thank you. Um, And we're going to try and get uh, questions from our listeners, and I know they want to hear from you. So hopefully in the future we can um, compile some of those questions and maybe you and I can sit down and and run through those. Sure. If you have questions for Dad, for Dr. Youssef, uh, please visit ltw.org slash candid, ltw.org slash C-A-N-D-I-D, and share them with us. Your question could be featured on a future episode. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe. And get your free download of the week at ltw.org slash candid. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.